Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. My name is Nikki Hastings. I am a geriatrician and director of health services research at the Durham VA. I see patients in geriatrics clinic and also round on the general medicine service. And it's seeing patients in both of these settings that got me interested in the topic I want to discuss today, which is hospital-associated disability. So first by way of definition, hospital-associated disability is the loss of ability to perform a basic activity of daily living around an episode of hospitalization. And here I'm talking about ADLs like bathing, dressing, transferring, toileting, eating, walking across a room, the basic functional tasks required for living independently. So incredibly important. Unfortunately, hospital-associated disability is very common in patients who are hospitalized for medical illness. It's fully one-third of adults over the age of 70 who leave the hospital with a major new disability that was not present before the onset of the illness that brought them in. People with hospital-associated disability are more likely to experience the complications that we work really hard to prevent, like aspiration and delirium. They stay in the hospital longer, and they're more likely to be discharged to skilled nursing facilities rather than home. So this is a big issue for our system as well as our patients. Discharges to skilled nursing facilities for post-acute rehab have risen dramatically over the last decade to the tune of about $30 billion of annual costs um, to Medicare annually. And after discharge, people with hospital-associated disability are more likely to have falls, to be readmitted, and to require long-term institutionalization. Perhaps most concerning of all is that a third to a half of these individuals never return to their baseline level of functioning. So why does this happen? Well, it happens for a couple of reasons. One is that many of our patients come in with low functional reserve to begin with. Very advanced age, underlying mood and cognitive disorders, pre-existing impairments in mobility are all examples of risk factors. To be sure, some of it is due to the direct effects of the illness or injury that brought them in, but conditions in the hospital itself also play a role. And one major contributing factor to hospital-associated disability is immobility during hospitalization. And this is one I want to spend some time on because this is one that we can all directly impact. It's been documented in multiple settings, including VA hospitals, using studies with accelerometers that hospitalized patients spend just about three to five percent of their time on their feet or walking. And this is despite the fact that very few, less than five percent, have actual physician orders for bed rest. We've known about the negative effects of bed rest for a very long time, many decades. In fact, there's a now famous JAMA paper from 1944 titled The Evil Sequelae of Complete Bed Rest. I would argue that we've learned not to order bed rest in most cases, but it is still the de facto condition in most American hospitals. Older adults lose muscle mass and strength at a rate of 1 to 2% per day. 
So after 10 days of immobility, this translates into a full kilogram loss of lean tissue from the lower extremities, 16% loss of strength at the knee extensors, uh, not to mention loss of VO2 max of around 12 to 15%. And it's obvious that these are very significant losses for many of our patients who already live very close to the functional threshold for independence. So onto the most important question of what can we do about it? How can we reduce the risk of hospital-associated disability for our patients? Step one is to assess and document functional status. The critical time points with regard to ADL assessment are baseline, so before the onset of illness or injury that brought them in and at the time of admission. And the other key piece to assess and document is mobility. And in addition to baseline and admission, this is one to follow daily ideally with observation. And really, you just need to answer two simple questions. Is the patient able to sit up and move around in bed independently? And are they able to stand at bedside and walk a few steps? It's really important not to assume because errors can be made in both directions. Sometimes patients who appear fairly robust are actually not able to ambulate independently, and definitely the converse is true. Some very frail appearing individuals turn out to be able to walk just fine. Any declines from baseline should prompt consultation with our physical or occupational therapy colleagues. Step two, remove barriers to ambulation. What could be keeping patients from getting out of bed and walking? Are there overly restrictive activity orders in place? Are there medical devices that we could address, like urinary catheters, IV poles? Is the patient in pain? Could there be medication side effects playing a role? Um, poor nutrition, dehydration. And finally, delirium is a really important one to think about. This can be sometimes incorrectly interpreted as lack of motivation to get up and out of bed and walk. Um, and so it's really important to recognize it for what it is. So step three, communicating directly and consistently with patients, families, and other team members like nursing about your goals for getting the patient out of bed and walking. So encourage families to bring in home equipment like walkers for patients who use those. A question I'm often asked is how much patients need to walk to prevent functional decline. And the answer to this one is not entirely clear or, or easy. Some observational studies have suggested 900 steps as a minimum, but in my own research, we've seen that about 20% of people who walk this amount still experience some decline. What you can say with confidence is that walking within the hospital room is not enough, and hallway walking should be the goal. If you have access to a hospital mobility program, take advantage of it. At the Durham VA, we have STRIDE. STRIDE is a supervised walking program for hospitalized veterans. After a brief assessment by PT, patients walk once or twice a day with a mobility assistant for the duration of their hospitalization as long as their medical condition is stable. In our initial evaluation of STRIDE in Durham, we found that 92% of patients who participated in the walking program were able to be discharged directly to home rather than a nursing facility, compared to just 74% of those who were clinically similar but did not participate. There have been other randomized controlled trials that have demonstrated benefits of hospital walking programs on functional outcomes at 30 days after discharge. 
Stride began in Durham and is spreading. It's currently in 17 hospitals. But hospital mobility programs in general are rare in American hospitals. So what are the key takeaways? Number one, hospital-associated disability is common and often results in loss of independence. Second, a major risk factor is immobility during hospitalization. In daily practice, important things to remember are assess and document functional status, remove barriers to ambulation, and communicate the importance of movement to patients, families, and hospital staff. And finally, I would encourage you to advocate for system-level solutions. Hospital walking programs are one example of the type of intervention that can be very effective at promoting a culture of mobility, which is ultimately what we need to reduce hospital-associated disability at a population level. The views and opinions stated during this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Veterans Affairs or Durham VA Hospital.